And one of the things he was so distraught about and why he was in such a deep state of depression, he was missing his animals. Mm. And so what I did, my dad, I told you I grew up on a farm, and my dad has all types of little everything, even beagles, all that. So I took pictures of them, and I put together this amazing collage for him. And he could not believe it. It was like he, it took him back. And mm-hmm. I, I think just being able to not only meet, meet people where they are, but help them to embrace where they are and be able to actually get back in that space that felt good, get back in the good space. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, I happen to have another doctor on the line for today's show, Anitra Shelton Quinn, Dr. Anitra Sheldon Quinn, two master's degree, PhD in psychology, 16 years of education to get where she is. She is amazing. She has so much information. The biggest issue was having enough time to cover all the topics, which of course we'll probably have to have her back. So with that, one of the things that Anitra's expertise is really around emotional and mental health, not only for uh, children, but also in geriatric wards, and now she works in, in, with adults in, in her 360 coaching. And one of the discussion points we there that we talked about is that our words matter, that what we say and how we say it to ourselves and to each other is affecting our environment. If you have encouraging words to your kids, to the elderly, then they're going to feel that way. If you don't, you know, bullying or being rude or obnoxious or being critical. The critical spirit carries through to the individual. And you know what? Some of you that are listening, this like myself, where I had a, a childhood where there was really not a building up. It really did affect me for many, many years. And even now, I have to be aware of that at times. So as a company, you know, this show is sponsored by Consulting Resource Group. And our focus is to help you to really master yourself, to get to know yourself. And we have several assessments that are online that help you to get clear. One of them is the self-worth inventory. Uh, But one of the other ones, and I think it's very, very freeing, is the values preference indicator. And when you get to know yourself and you get clear about yourself and what's most important to yourself, then you can make intentional, confident decisions. And if you know somebody where they're struggling with this sort of identity of self, then maybe recommend or refer them to our What Do You Really Value e-course when our Values Preference Indicator Assessment is a potential option for them to consider. So as always, we thank you for being a Secrets of Success listener, subscriber. If you like what we're doing, please pass it on, share, leave a positive comment in whatever format that you or platform you're listing on. And we appreciate your feedback. So any thoughts of potential guests or topics, then please reach out and leave a comment in the platform you're listening on. So thank you for listening. Here is our show with Dr. Anitra Shelton Quinn. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, it's always good to have other doctors on the line, and today is no different. We have an individual who is really an expert on helping others to realize their potential. She has so many accolades that I would, if I did the introduction with those, we wouldn't have any time for a show. So welcome to the show, Dr. Anitra Shelton Quinn. Thank you so much, Dr. Keyes. I am so honored to be here. I appreciate that beautiful welcome. Thank you again. I'm glad to be here. Well, thanks for reaching out for us. It's always interesting. We were just mentioning off air that we got to know each other through LinkedIn and just an opportunity to be able to uh, connect with fellow uh, colleagues who are making a difference out there. So congratulations on all your accolades and we'll just kind of just throw ourselves right into the show. Wonderful. Thank you. So, Anitra, what I like to do is to give listeners a bit of um, background to your journey. So, uh, where was sort of home and your growing up years? Uh, where was that for you? I grew up in Mississippi, the Cricket Letter State, M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. And one of the great things about growing up there 
is the humble beginnings of growing up on a farm and kind of being in a small town and just really being able to capture the essence of being a kid and, and being able to tap into nature and things like that. I also, from there, went to school at Mississippi State. I am a Mississippi State Bulldog for any listeners who may be familiar with Mississippi State. Um, I, I did go to school. So there's still a little mom. pride. There's still a little pride coming out of that. Anita. Oh, definitely. Just I a love touch. My, Just a touch. I actually was on the Palm Squad there. I was involved in just about everything on campus, a campus leader, and so I am definitely proud of my Mississippi roots. Uh, oftentimes, people say they can't hear the the uh, the Mississippi accent in my in my dialogue, but I can definitely go way back to Mississippi and bring that accent right on out there. <laughs> for sure. Now, let's just back up for a second. What kind of farming did your family do? Well, my father farmed. He had cattle. So we had, it's funny, I learned to drive at a very early age because he would take me out with him to, uh, to, to feed the cattle. And he also had soybean farms. We had goats and uh, horses. I learned to ride horseback very well, uh, chickens, ducks, all that good stuff. I learned about all of the elements of how living on a farm and making your own food. And, you know, we talk now about eating healthy and all that. Well, my parents have been doing that for a very long time. So I learned how to do the garden and all of that. Now, truthfully, Dr. Wise, I have to be honest here. I, uh, I am not, <laughs> not one who likes to go in the garden now, but I do like to eat the produce. I'm very girly girl now, but I do have those roots, and they are very strong. <laughs> so no getting your hands dirty now. Oh, come no. Come on. Come on. As I would say to my daughter, suck it up, princess. Let's go. Let's get in the dirt. <laughs> that would be accurate for me. Yeah, fair enough. So you go to Mississippi State. What was your uh, degree in? My degree in Mississippi State was in psychology. I started out, interestingly enough, I had this vision of my life as a budding senior in high school. I said, I want to be a doctor. And, you know, at that time, I wasn't familiar with understanding that a doctor can have a doctorate in any area. And so I initially was thinking of being a medical doctor. But then I recognized that on that journey, people always would kind of seek me out to be the listening ear. And so I went from being the listening ear for my family and, and friends in high school, went to do that in college, and I recognized, hey, this is actually a profession where I can listen to what people are going through and then give them the keys to success to overcome their challenges. I was completely sucked into psychology. I fell in love with that field, and that was what my mm. undergrad degree was in. Mm. So you graduate from college, from university. Then what did you do? Well, you know, interestingly enough, my father likes to call me a professional student. I was not yet done learning at, from a didactic standpoint. So I went from there to graduate school. And initially, I wanted to do general psychology. So I did uh, go to the University of Louisiana Monroe, which was at that time Northeast Louisiana University, and got my degree in gerontology, which is the study of aging and el the elderly aging process. Yes, yes. And interestingly enough, at that time, it was a very new field. And so going to uh, Northeast Louisiana University, that was a new program. And so I was one of their first graduates out of that program with a master's degree. What was uh, driving your thought about going in that direction? You know, the sheer desire to help people. I was very, very close to my grandparents. I had a lot of just miraculous staples of people who were in my life who had helped to shape me throughout the journey. And so just wanting to truly understand the aging process and, and more so the cognitive aspects of aging, how mm. people's brains change over time, how do people get over a lot of the challenges that they go through, what 
keeps people afloat year after mm. year after year with all of the hills and valleys. And so with my mind wrapped around that, I go into this amazing field. I learn all of the aspects as it relates to aging and the, the-, the theories and-, and really learned how to embrace the aging process and understand it in terms of really being able to capitalize on that knowledge and saying, I'm going to age gracefully and I will help others to do the same. Mm, cool. So you finish your master's degree. Now, uh, what's your doctorate in? Well, I have another master's and a doctorate. <laughs> that was oh, not well, my choice. Excuse me. My apologies for missing that. No, no problem. That is, tr- <laughs> that is not the typical route, but I actually went from the master's in gerontology to doctoral study in Springfield, Missouri at Forest Institute of Professional Psychology where I was getting the degree in geropsychology, which was a, from in the clinical psychology program. But then, you know, it's interesting how life takes a turn and you, ha- you kind of get in position where the road leads you. And so I had a very ill family member back in Mississippi while I was in Springfield, Missouri. And being that country girl who takes care of family and likes to be a part of my family through all of the processes, um, I did go ahead and said, I'm going to take, I'm going to withdraw, and I'll come back. So I go back to Mississippi there. And interestingly enough, that's how I met my love, which is school psychology, working with children from a perspective of the entire lifespan of being a child until reaching adulthood at 21. And so I do have that master's in school psychology as well as a doctorate in psychology. My areas of expertise are crisis intervention, suicide prevention, child psychopathology, and behavior management. Wow. So you went from the end to the beginning. So yes, I did. Where did, the, where did that shift come from? You know, it was very interesting. Sometimes in life we have these gaps and we don't really understand that the gaps are actually kind of these pointers that guide you. So when I ended up making the change to move from state to state to be with my family, help my grandmother take care of my great aunt who was ailing at the time, I started working at a community mental health center. And in working there, I literally became so just overwhelmed with uh, just a sense of love and adoration for working with children and families like I had never experienced in my life. I saw these children who were struggling socially, emotionally, behaviorally, and academically, and their families were struggling along with them. And my heart went out to those families. And at that point, I was sold. I wanted to know, what is this? Is this clinical child psychology? What is this, and how do I fit this into my life? And I happened to meet a young lady who at the time was in the master's program at Mississippi State University. And she told me about this amazing field called school psychology where you can truly impact kids life for change early on from zero to 21 and when she told me that I was headstrong and I did not stop I pursued and got into that program and the rest is history Mm -hmm. so now when did you finish all this schooling as your uh, family said you're a permanent (laughs) uh, student and I think all of us need to be continuous learners regardless of it But formal education, when did that sort of wrap up for you? Well, for me, it took a really long time because I I definitely was very intent on learning as much as I could. So I started, it's going to sound really, really crazy in terms of the inordinate amount of time. I started my bachelor's degree in 1992. I didn't take any breaks all the way through completing, even when I went from that short period of time, it was just literally from January until um, May, no, January, yes, January until May, and then I was back in school again, okay? So that's a short period of time. It took me till 2009 when my, my doctorate degree was finally complete and everything was done. There was a, I actually finished the didactic corpse work, which is the seat work sitting there taking the test in 2003, did a year of internship, three to four, uh, and then from there did my dissertation, which was funded by, uh, by, the, by the state. And so I was able to uh, get some really good data to help kids. 
And when I finally finished, it was 2009. <laughs> wow. So 15 plus years, girl. Yes. Whoa. Yes. Whoa. Well, congratulations on that. Sticking to that, going in it. So with all that education, let's uh, kind of delve in now. Before we get into your expertise and just how this can serve the audience and the audience members, uh, did you meet your husband somewhere along the way in one of these classes? Oh, that's my favorite question. I did not. I actually met my, well, this is the funny part of this. I was going to class one night, going to the class that I, I dislike the most. I abhor math. And so <laughs> even though I had to take stats one to four, I still just, math was not my thing. So on my way to stats that night, my class started at 6 or 7 in the evening, and when I got into the building, all of the lights were off, and I was looking around like, where is everybody? And I get there, and there's a note on the door saying the class was canceled, and I get a phone call from my aunt who says, hey, you got to come. you got to come to church tonight. There's revival. I said, okay, my class was canceled. I'd love to come. And so then my brother calls and says the same thing. And I'm 14 years older than him, so I'm like, if he's calling, I, I definitely want to go. So I go. And I walk into the church, and the man of my dreams is absolutely just, he's right there, and he is singing. He is the guest psalmist, and he has a voice from heaven. And so that's where I met my husband, at Revival. Wow. So just sing for you, and then you're done. That's oh, yeah. The deal. Oh, yeah. yeah. When he opened his mouth and began to sing, it was, it was like... That's really true because my aunt was sitting in front of me at the church, family church, and she turned around and she said, who is that? And I said, I don't know, but oh, my God. <laughs> I'm going, I'm, but I'm going to know who he is. Okay, yes. well, congratulations on that, too. Well done. Thank you. Uh, so with that, let's just kind of go into this. And, you know, as a Amazon bestseller, and you've got several different books that you have available, one of them being, you know, Becoming Incredibly Irresistible, A Guide to Living the Abundant Life. Uh, what are some of the things that you discovered in your research around kids? Uh, and just a sidebar, I mean, our work is really on helping uh, individuals with self-awareness, our tools and assessments from values to so forth to personality are used in education. I'm a past mm -hmm. school board chair, so I sense that. And then we also lost our father-in-law to dementia a couple of years ago. Wow. So you had talked about both ends of the spectrum. So I mm -hmm. really get a, have an interest in what you have discovered. Is Why don't we just sort of start in the uh, front end there. What did you discover about what we can do to impact and help to create healthy kids and healthy adults? That's a great question, Dr. Keith. You know, one of the things first I think that's so super important is identifying where the individual is, not just physically, but where they are emotionally, where they are socially and mentally. All of that is so super important. You know, I see all the time from working with kids and then working with elderly adults. I've worked in uh, nursing homes and just clinical settings as I've worked with elderly. And there, there is an interesting uh, kind of crossover where you see a lot of similarities and it's not so much age-driven. It's just getting to know where people are and what they need in their present space. A lot of times we will look at someone and we assume that this is what they're thinking. And I love so much being able to sit down with that person and despite what information I may have been given initially, I always see the bigger picture from what that person is going through. See, one of the things I realize is that everything is data. What you say and what you don't say. So it may be a child who's not saying very much and the, then the perception is maybe the child doesn't want to be here, maybe they're being non-compliant. And when I have the chance to sit down with that individual, I gain a whole world of perspective. By the same token, having worked with older adults, I remember working in nursing home settings. I think at that time I worked at maybe five nursing homes, and I had a caseload at each one, and I would come in. And 
I would read before I went in. Part of the process was to read the notes that had already been written and then go in and work with the client. And oftentimes what I read was not necessarily where they were in terms of what they were really feeling. We have to be careful to get the information from the person and then allow them to speak candidly and free in a safe space. And so I have truly gained so much from, first of all, identifying where they are. Once I identify where they are, I then want to hear where do they want to be? Where do they want to go? What do they need? What's the one thing that you could change if you could change anything at all about your life? What would it be? And oftentimes it's so different from what anyone else has identified because that question wasn't asked. Does that make sense? Interesting. Yeah. Well, it makes complete sense. Now, I just want to back up for a second. Uh, what what was your role in the nursing homes with these individuals? Very good. Um, like because a lot of cases, you know, my uh, father-in-law being residential care, there was no. I'll call it psychological or mental care. It was only physical care. So what was your role and responsibility in these homes? I was actually a psychologist resident, a resident psychologist. So I actually, and this was through a actual mental health company that contracts with nursing homes to provide psychological services. So I would go in and I would kind of do the initial mini mental status exam, see where they are, but then I would sit down and just kind of have conversation, want to hear what you're thinking about, want to know what's on your heart, how are you really feeling, okay? And I think that for so many people was was the the eye-opener that allowed me to be able to establish that unbreakable rapport because it wasn't from a place of I've got to identify and take notes. I just want to talk to you. I want to grill you. You can come out in here because this is a safe space and Mm -hmm. I want to hear your story. So let's stay with, since we're in the the elderly and my uh, mother-in-law is 90 and my dad turns 88 in a couple of days. So I, Congratulations. I get, this, so I get that, uh, at least when we're recording this. So I don't know when you're listening to this. So what were some of the surprises? So you go in and you're listening, and what you're also talking about is that a lot of other practitioners were making assumptions. They, they interpreted what they saw versus really clarified what they saw. So with that being said, what were some of the discoveries that might um, surprise our audience that you discovered when you had these conversations with these individuals in the nursing homes? One of them that was, first of all, people can be, I mean, they made my day. They were hilarious, first of all. I would love, I loved working with the elderly population. It was amazing. I, you know how Forrest Gump says, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Well, that's mm-hmm. true. Any given day I would come in and it would be amazing, just amazing. But the other thing is, you know, when you allow people to talk, you will be amazed at the brilliance that they hold. You know, we, we look at, at the geriatric population and we just think about just wisdom alone, but there's so much more in them than wisdom. I mean, oh, my God, just the, the wealth of knowledge. And a lot of them still had goals. You know, just because you reach a certain age, it doesn't mean that you don't have a goal. For example, my grandfather is 99. And, wow. you know, he really, he still wants to do stuff. He, he just bought a computer. Uh, he, he wants to go back to school. Uh, so he, they have aspirations. Yeah. Isn't, that, isn't that cool? Isn't that's that cool? amazing. I think we oftentimes put people in this metaphorical box based on their age, based on all these other things, and we have to truly allow people to spread their wings and be who they are at any stage mm-hmm. in life. Well, to support you and not to take away from me interviewing you, but one of my colleagues is um, mentors, I guess, is 80, another one is 75. And the 80-year-old still holds um, retreats. He yes. does double black diamond runs in Colorado and teaches executives how to go from intermediate skiing to double black diamonds in a day. And wow. And he's doing that at 80. 
And then my other mentor who is, you know, 75 has written 65 books. And he said, Oh my God. He, he believes that sort of ageism is the last sort of discriminatory piece that we have to overcome. And he says, I'm 75. He says, I've never done better work. So is that what you're saying is that, you know, age is, is simply a number. It is not a determinant of what contribution I have to make. Yes. Yes, that is truly my sentiment there. Here's the thing. In existential psychology, we look back over our lives and we, we, we have this way of going back to see if we accomplished everything. Did, did our bucket list get achieved, you know? And mm -hmm. so you have people now, you know, we're a more health-conscious society now. So people are expecting to live more, to do more, to accomplish more, and to truly walk out more in this life. And we have to be able to embrace that. Mm -hmm. So let's go back into my question is, is this, what were some of the, I'll call it the gaps between what people were assuming this person was thinking and what you discovered? Well, you know, I, I, I will not necessarily say it was a gap, but a misinterpretation. Okay. Because, you know, a lot of times you can walk in the room, and this, is, this was my, my experience. I may walk in the room, and I'm thinking of some clients particularly. I'd walk in the room, and the person would not talk, and they would turn their head away, and they would turn around and, and curse at you or something like that. And, you know, one may walk away or just say, well, you have a good day. You don't want to talk today. I was not taking no for an answer. I may just start dancing or singing a song or, and, and just really interacting with them. And most, it was so funny. They would always be amazed at how far I was willing to go. See, what we're talking about here is elderly individuals who were in a nursing home setting. Now, you know, and this, is, this may make some people really start thinking about this, but truth is a lot of people in nursing home settings don't get a whole lot of visitors. Okay, not to mention the fact that nursing homes are often positioned outside of the, the, more, the more populated areas in a city. Okay, and so when you say all of that and you, you start thinking about what could a person be feeling in a residential setting, you know, out of sight, out of mind, rejection. And so maybe, just maybe, this person is responding this way because they are used to being rejected and they're afraid of being rejected again. And they're afraid of letting someone in who may reject them again or leave them. And so then I have the responsibility of really working hard to see if that's the case, to confirm or disconfirm that, but then also to be a listening ear to let them tell me what do you need right now? How are you feeling? A lot of times they, they would mm -hmm. just confirm exactly what I was thinking, you know? Maybe they were just lonely too, which, as you said, uh, guard my heart from being hurt more. Very much so. And, you know, I will say this. I think we have to be willing to go the extra mile. I remember a particular case, and this was one of my – because I actually used to also work in a general psychiatric unit uh, before working in the nursing homes. And I remember there being an elderly gentleman who used to – he used to hunt. He used to have these little, um, like, beagles and different dogs. And I, I found that out just by talking to him. And one of the things he was so distraught about and why he was in such a deep state of depression, he was missing his animals. Mm -hmm. And so what I did, my dad, I told you I grew up on a farm, and my dad has all types of little everything, even beagles, all that. So I took pictures of them, and I put together this amazing collage for him. And he could not believe it. It was like he, it took him back. And mm -hmm. I, I think just being able to not only meet, meet people where they are, but help them to embrace where they are and be able to actually get back in that space that felt good, get back in the good space. Mm. What would you want to say to the audience, Anitra, around encouraging people to, first of all, some, maybe some assumptions around, uh, I don't want to say the elderly, but in that space, but to encourage the audience about things to do to engage individuals at these ages that would really just enrich our culture. 
and enrich their lives as well as uh, you know the lives of the individuals that they're talking to as well as their own what would you you just now have a platform and you want to say uh, we need to do this what would that be you know I think for me, in terms of giving some, some guidance there, you know, the first thing I talked about was finding out where they are. That includes one of the things I'd like to do. I would, if the person was born in this particular era, I would go and get that music and put that on. And you would be amazed at the memories it sparked. People have an amazing ability to tell their story. And there is so much peace and comfort and being able to tell your story and have someone listen. One of the things I found out through being in this field and working with both elderly and younger people is that people oftentimes do not have the platform to tell their story because people don't listen to it and make it safe. So you, we have to be able to make telling the story safe. We have to be able to give people a reason to tell the story. And then not only that, we have to be good listeners of the story. Mm. Don't be too busy in your space. You know, I remember someone telling me a, a while ago, long time ago, be present in the now. We have to be present in the now when we meet people, when we're talking to people, when we're trying to help pull people out. Be present in the now. We live in a world that is so uh, the, the, the microwave generation. We want to just get things done very quickly. You know, take the time to really listen. Take the time to put your ear to the pulse of what they're saying and be a part of that, that narrative. Be a part of that. Well, um, I'm married, so I know that I fail that one once in a while. But <laughs> and, and, you know, the be here now for sure, can I give my full attention? Can I listen? Can I respond? You know, basic communication skills. So thank you for that. Now, let's, let's flip the discussion. And then you do a lot of work around, you know, uh, young adults and children. What are some of the things that we want to learn there about developing them? You know, I think we should allow children to be children. My mom always laughs at me because of how I have two children. They are six and eight. Caleb is six. Noah is eight. And Anitra, I can hear them in the background, by the way. Well, they're outside, but that just lets you know how loud they are. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm so everybody loud. listening, this is eight. This is a live, real show. Here's, here's, here's mom's kids outside just enjoying themselves. So like you said, okay, go ahead. So I interrupt, but I just thought I'd make a note of that. No, no worries. Thank you. For, I did not know that you could hear them. Uh, I could hear them, but I was hoping that no one else could. <laughs> for some reason, they want to come to this window by my study, and I don't know what they're doing, digging a hole to China or something. But um, one of the things I think is so important when you talk about what can we do as it relates to kids, allowing kids to be kids. What does that mean? I believe, yes, of course, academics is important, structure is important, but allowing kids to develop freely in their space. So, so many times I hear kids who carry the weight of the world on their shoulders because they have these expectations that they cannot, they feel that they cannot meet. Mm. So we have to be able to let them be kids, but then at the same time, encourage their gifts, encourage the things they're talented in, allow them to flourish in those areas. My eight-year-old absolutely loves science. So he has a YouTube station, Noah Quinn, the science kid, and he's always studying science stuff, and he's always reading up on different things. And yeah, sometimes I have no idea what he's talking about because it's out of my it's out of my knowledge base. I'm not that kind of, of scientist. I'm a social scientist. He oftentimes is intrigued with dinosaurs and volcanoes and things like that. But I encourage him and so I oftentimes will take him places where he that he can continue to grow in that area. I provide him with opportunities to grow in that area. And then I still expand his knowledge base by introducing him to new and different things. One of the things I do that is so imperative and I will tell parents and, and aunts and uncles, grandparents, it's so important to build kids up on the inside. 
Build them up. My sons will tell you if I call them in right now and say, go over your positive affirmations, they will go down the line and say what those are. Uh, you know, just really building them up to know who they are. Building Boy, them up I'm, to uh, know. Mama that's a uh, social psychologist. There you go. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And so when we're in the car, when we're going to school every morning, they're doing their positive affirmations. When they woke up this morning, they did their affirmations. And so, and I say that, and here's why. I've been working with children in schools for 20 years. And what I have seen, uh, a lot of times it is extremely disheartening because children can be broken. Children can be emotionally and socially broken, and no one ever know it. And so building them up to be resilient to some of the things they go through, because in schools, schools can be difficult, I know. I, even working in the schools, I promise you, there are some times where I'm like, oh, my God, what's, what, what's going on here? Let me try to help this, fix this, because it's going to get crazy in like about two seconds. Um, and so it can be difficult for kids as it relates to bullying, as it relates to developing the symptomatology associated with depression and anxiety, as it relates to developing fears. And I see a lot of kids develop that at a young age. And so we have to help build them up. We have to put the ingredients in them to be not only academically successful, but emotionally and socially successful. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. One of our tools is we have a self-force inventory. And in some of the research that we've looked at, maybe you can validate this or not, mm -hmm. is that the self-worth level of the parents and the family and the family of origin is highly influential to where the kid is going to be at as mm -hmm. they grow up. Is that, is that a fair comment? That, that is very, very true. That's very, children are exceedingly impressionable. Children learn by observation and demonstration. And so as the parent, if I have low self-worth self and low self-esteem, which is evident in my behaviors from how I speak to how I act and how I respond, then what's going to happen? They're going to observe that and begin to demonstrate that in their own lives and adopt that school of thought. So we have to be intentional, intentional and purposeful in every step that we take, even unbeknownst to us. We have to have a purposeful and intentional, when I wake up in the morning, I know that I have these two little people who are depending on not only me to meet their physical needs, but me to help build them emotionally and socially. So I have mm -hmm. to govern my behavior around that, knowing that I'm planting seeds 24 hours a day. Mm. Well, my wife's a teacher by profession. And Wonderful. I sat on a school board chair, as I mentioned earlier. So what, what happens to your heart when you see these amazing kids that come from these families that are less than desirable? What goes through your mind and your heart when you see that? It is very painful. And I, you know, the truth be told, as a psychologist that works with children, first of all, working with children is the most difficult across all of the areas of concentration particularly working with children in schools, because you get everybody. You don't have a certain demographic. You can see people that have been in the worst situations that you could ever imagine possible. And so having said that, you know, you have to develop this skin, this metaphorical skin that covers you, because if not, you will break. You will break completely down because it, it is oftentimes unimaginable. And as a, just a lover of people, you go into a profession because you love it and you have to love the people to love the field. And so it pains me and I'm sure any other professional that works with people at this level to see a child who is so innocent, who is working so hard. Some of these kids, they work so hard at school and they go home and they're torn down completely. And it makes the work that I do very challenging because what I do can only go so far because the home environment is still super critical to that child's success or that individual's success, whether they be a three-year-old or they're mm -hmm. 18 years old. It doesn't matter. The home is a critical piece of their puzzle. And well, so it can I, I be can very difficult. Anitra. I mean, I grew up with very low self-worth. I'm the eldest of four children. 
Eastern European descent, so you know emotions and affirmations were simply not present. Mm -hmm. uh, criticism in a critical nature whenever you screwed up, that's pretty well all you heard. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was into my middle or late 20s before I was able to sort of purge some of those underpinnings that's there. Uh, I love my parents. As I said, my dad's going to be 88 in a couple of days when we're recording this. Mm -hmm. uh, and you just try to do something different as a parent. Right. Now, as a father of a 25 and a 23-year-old, soon to be 25 and 24, uh, it's great because we try to do almost every phone call that we have with each other. We try to affirm each other that we care for them, we love them, we appreciate them. Wonderful. And what a difference that makes just in the whole energy and the relationship and how that helps them to be developed. So uh, I just want to, I guess what I'm trying to say here with you to the listeners is that our words have impact and especially to these little ones and elderly as well. Yes, that they we do. Need to, we need to watch what we say. That is so true, Dr. Keith. That's got to be one of the one of those statements that will be around forever. It will never end. That is a truism. You know, I've worked with people across the age span, and one of the things I know is, despite even in the midst of physical abuse, the emotional abuse from words that have been spoken will far outlast the physical scar. Mm. One of my areas of expertise is also bullying in terms of research and working with kids and doing programs. And I have been so amazed at just how long, and I say amazed, not in a positive sense, but just how long something that was spoken to someone when they were seven or nine and now the person is 20 or 30 and it's still there. I remember once when I was director of school psychology at the University of Houston, Victoria, I started doing a line of research and somehow, I don't know how this happened, but it ended up getting in, in the news media and I started getting calls from people who had been bullied, but these were adults. And they were trying to overcome the bullying that they had been subjected to when they were younger, when they were in elementary school, when they were in middle school. Mm. So we have to be very mindful that whatever you speak, it is either building or breaking. You have to decide. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, that's some ground level, base level stuff. Now, do you know that we only have like a few minutes left already? Wow! Uh, it's, been, it's been an amazing conversation. We're not going yet, but uh, I want to make sure a couple of things. First of all, if people want to find out uh, more about you, Anitra, where can they go to find out more about you? They can go to two places. They can go to DrAnitraShelton-Quinn.com, and that is www.DrAnitra, A-N-I, T is in Tom, R-A, Shelton, S is in Sam, H-E-L, is in Tom O N hyphen Q U I N N dot com, or they can go to my other site, Dr. Anitra Speaks Global dot com, mm. and that spelled the spell pretty close the same, but Dr. Anitra Speaks Global dot com. Uh, I am definitely happy to kind of talk to the listeners. If you are on social media, I can be found on Facebook under Dr. Anitra Shelton Quinn. Uh, I can also be found on Instagram, and it's at Dr. Underscore SQ, uh, and pretty much on all of the social media sites. And we'll, and we'll, we'll, uh, well. we'll put a link to your site in the show notes, so if somebody's listening and driving, and they said, man, that was a lot of letters to remember, we'll have that all there for you. Wonderful. Uh, so thank you for that. And of course, you have this book, Becoming... Uh, incredibly irresistible. Now, one of our specialties here at CRG is to help others to live, lead, and work on purpose. And you're now doing some work with adults around helping them with their purpose. You're a power coaching uh, 360 company that's there to serve people as well. So yeah. when we, to sort of wrap a bow to the show and all the things that we've covered already, and obviously we could spend another hour or two easy with you. Uh, we don't have that today, but that being said, uh, you know, we both know that um, individuals that get clear about their purpose can be 
they're less prone to depression, less you know, mental illness, all these kinds of things. So take us quickly through your steps around people, you know, getting connected to a passionate living and purposeful life. Wonderful. You know, I believe that every single person has a purpose and when they walk into that purpose, they will see amazing things happen both in their personal life and their professional life. So the question becomes, how do I get to that point? Well, we were all equipped with these different gifts and talents and things that we just can innately do. I've always been able to speak and write from a very young age. And so that was already there in me. For mm -hmm. every listener on here, there you have gifts and talents that you have within you. It's just about identifying them. And so one of the things I like to tell people to do is, hey, Make a list of the things that you're good at. Make a list of the things that you're talented at. You know, and sometimes they may overlap. It may be the same thing. But then make another list of what you enjoy doing. What are you good at or talented at, and what do you enjoy doing? Mm -hmm. And draw the lines to see where they connect. If I'm good at this and I also like doing it, then maybe, just maybe, that's what I should be doing. You know, I hear people all the time say they have a job and they're miserable because mm -hmm. you're not doing what you love. And oftentimes what you love is undergirded by something that you're really good at, okay? And so then you have to think about how to be able to make that profitable for you. Uh, also along the lines of purpose, when you identify your strengths and your talents and what you're good at, then it's going to be important that you take the opportunity to sit down and really write out where you want to be. If you close your eyes and say, where would I be if money weren't the issue, if this weren't the issue, if that, any of the barriers, where would you see yourself? Those are key indicators to helping us get to purpose. And truthfully, that's one of the ways I've found so many, uh, I, I say, aspects of my purpose by doing that myself. You know, though I'm a psychologist by training, I use what I've learned to kind of put myself in position for some of the other things that I really enjoy doing and that I'm really good at that may not necessarily be psychology, but mm -hmm. it, it all kind of goes together, you know. So you've got to identify your strengths, talents, and likes. And then where do you see yourself? And once you identify where you see yourself, then you have to put together the plan of how do I get there. And that's where I come in at, as a power coach. Mm. So you work with adults as well as children, and you know when I say adults, you're not just working in nursing homes. In oh no no no, to work with adults as well. Right, that's a great question. So Power Coaching 360 is actually my adult practice in terms of coaching, and it allows me to be able to give people tools to get from A to Z, and I use the behavioral principles and strategies from my training and from the theoretical uh, kind of basis of psychology in terms of setting goals and reaching them. All of that is a part of how I work with my clients. Um, I think one of the things that's so super important is once people say, I'm ready to move forward, then the next step is getting somebody to hold you accountable and to help you reach those goals. Mm -hmm. Well, if we think about life, um, most sports have a coach. And way back when, uh, I can attest to this, Anitra, is that in 1989 when I got into this business, I hired a coach out of Seattle, Washington, who actually, oddly enough, was like you, was an educator. And he created a program called Source to help people, to, uh, kids stay in school so that they could find their purpose. And then he quickly found out most adults needed it. So mm -hmm. I hired him and he helped me to clarify. I knew I was supposed to speak and train, but I didn't know exactly what that was supposed to be. So which ended up with my purpose statement to help others to live, lead, and work on purpose. So mm -hmm. same Wonderful. thing for you and how you help those individuals go to the next level. Now, Anitra, we've already come to sort of the end of our show, if you can believe it. Wow. But before we go, um, what would be sort of the last bit of wisdom or ideas or thoughts that you'd like to share with the audience before we depart. Wonderful. And I just, in speaking about that, I'd like to kind of use where we are right now in terms of what we're dealing with nationally, if that's okay. Um, you know, 
using your time wisely is so critical. Right now, we are all in the same space as it relates to social distancing. I don't know when you're listening to this, but if, 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 we're, if you're still in that space, and even if you're not, using your time wisely. I remember being graded in grade school and getting either an S or, or an N or whatever in that, but mm-hmm. using your time wisely is critical. What does that mean? It's so important that you employ purposeful movement in the now. So right now, wherever you are, identify where you want to go and start putting things in place to do that. Don't let time pass you by. You know, I I was telling somebody today, you know, I am so kind of headstrong on making sure that I get as much done in this, what we are considering this downtime as I can, Mm -hmm. because it's critical to where I see myself. Get that vision in your head of where you see yourself and start working now towards getting there. Don't let this time pass you by. You may not be working right now. You may not be doing what you would typically do in a day or in a week or a month. So use this time to build you and to position you for your purpose to get to that next level. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Anitra, for that. And again, what's the best site for people to go to to find out about you? Dr. Anitra Shelton-Quinn.com. That's awesome. And then, of course, your book is, one of the books anyways that you have is being Becoming Incredibly Irresistible. So, uh, Anitra, thank you for hanging out with us today. Thank you so much. I have enjoyed it so much, Dr. Keith. I appreciate you and appreciate all of your listeners and hope to connect with them and stay connected with you. Okay, thank you. Anitra, stay on the line. So, uh, Secrets of Success listeners, Anitra had a lot of stuff in there, you know, all the way from uh, birth to uh, nearly death and all the things in between. But if I think if we were to grab a theme out of it, is that, you know what? People just like to be listened to. They like to be heard. It means that we want to give their undivided attention. Now, I just have to make sure that my wife's not listening to this episode because I'm going to be held to be account for that. Uh, so hopefully you're smirking or smiling at that because all of us need to be reminded of that. The other side, as Anitra was wrapping up the show with, is every single person has a purpose. Every single person listening to this is important and valuable. And so take that with you. And then go back and listen to the show over and over again as you get different tidbits from Anitra, her story, and her expertise. Now, thank you, as always, for leading and giving us your most valuable commodity, and that's your time. Uh, If you like what we're doing, please share it, pass it on, subscribe, leave a positive comment in whatever platform you're listening on. Thank you for listening to Secrets of Success. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.